we're going to get started just kind of talking a little bit about these three secrets that could really revolutionize each of our lives as we learn to really apply them. It's going to be a good weekend, and my hope is that we can really grow closer to God and closer to each other as men. So let's just start this thing in prayer. I think it'd be good to just get started asking God to really take control here, to lead us and to guide us, and to really be the driving force behind everything that happens this weekend. Because if he isn't driving this thing, then we're here in vain. God, I thank you so much for the opportunity to be up here with these men. God, I thank you for just the many, many, many men's retreats that have happened right here in this lodge, the many student retreats, the countless hundreds of students that have made decisions to trust you in this lodge. God, the many decisions that many people have made to walk closer to you here in this lodge. What a, what a heritage there is in this physical location, God. It's so cool. God, I pray that you do the same thing this weekend. We pray that you'd work in our hearts. God, I don't want to leave the same. I really want you to work in my heart to change me, to make me more like you. And I know that all of us here want that. God, we desperately want you to show up because if you're not the one that's working in our lives here, if we're just here to shoot clay pigeons, uh, it's going to be a waste of our time. So God, we give this weekend to you. We surrender it to you. We ask you to be on the throne. We ask you to reign here in our conversations and in our friendships. God, we pray that we would glorify you in what we do here. God, I pray that you would be honored and glorified with every word that's said and with the games that are played and the messages that are given, God, and the discussions that we have in groups and the one-on-one conversations. God, I pray that you'd be honored in all of it. So take your rightful place of authority in our lives. Uh, Lead us as a group of men and help us become the men that you want us to be to make the impact in this world that needs to be made and that you put us here to make. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to talk tonight about the secret to the secrets of life. So we're talking about the three secrets every man must know, and I'm going to share not those three secrets. I will clue you into what they are, but I'm also going to share the secret to those secrets. So how many of you guys like getting more than you expected to get? I do. (laughs) So we said three secrets. We're actually going to give you a secret on top of that, the secret to the secrets. But as we get ready to share all these secrets, you can turn to Ephesians 5, and we'll read that in just a minute. So while you're turning there, I'm going to tell you the three secrets that we're going to discuss this weekend. First, we're going to talk about, tomorrow morning, the secret to the Christian life. Gordy's going to be sharing with us about that, and it's going to be so good. Every time I hear Gordy talk about this topic, I'm encouraged by it. Next, we're going to talk about the secret to the courageous life. One of the most courageous men I know, Malcolm Hillward over here, who as a student would say, next week we need to do something that scares me more. (laughs) You remember that, Malcolm? He loves trusting God and taking a risk. He's going to talk to us about the secret to the courageous life. And then tomorrow night, Brandon over here is going to talk about the secret to the influential life. And Sunday, Russ is going to wrap all this together and send us off. It's going to be a really good week. But I'm going to talk tonight about the secret to those secrets. And the secret is not just trying harder. You've probably figured that out by now as a man. Unless you're in college. Maybe you have a little more learning to figure that out. But maybe not. The secret is not just trying harder, right? How many of you guys have tried that? Just try harder, try harder, try harder, but I never quite get where I know I need to be. See, the secret is that doesn't work, and there is a secret that does work. So the secret 
to these secrets is what we're going to talk about tonight. And I'm going to start by sharing a very vulnerable, honest story from my own life in 1999. In 1999, I was finishing up my freshman year here at Fort Lewis College, and I was sponsored by a little snowboard company called Drive Snowboards, and they invited me to come to the Las Vegas Snowboard Convention. It was the International Snowboard Convention. Everybody was there. I hung out with Sean White for quite a while at that convention. He was only 11 then. He wasn't the famous guy that he is now, but he was already pretty famous. It was something to hang out with him then. But it was a good week in a lot of regards, and it was a bad week in others. Now, while I was there, I really felt like I was walking strong with God, but at the same time, I felt like I was finally kind of making it. I was with all these professional snowboarders. I was with the team that I was sponsored by, and I felt really good. It was feeding my ego more than anything. Does that make sense? I wanted to be there for my own ego, I think. And Russ probably remembers me going on this trip. Now, while I was there on that trip, we got to the last night of the trip, and at this point, the convention's over, and everybody's just having fun and being kind of rowdy and crazy. And the whole team was there, and they had a guy videotaping what everybody was doing, and I don't know, I thought they wanted to put it on video or something. But the team rep, he had a, a, a thing of Jim Beam, and he kept pouring it in everybody's coats. He just was kind of the atmosphere, like a party atmosphere. Now, I've been sharing my faith with the whole team all week, and I've been doing it before, but we get to this night, and literally, like, all the pro riders that every, if you've snowboarded, you know these guys, they're all there, and I didn't want to be the weird guy that said, hey, no, don't put that in my coat, I don't want that, so I just kind of went along with it, right? I just kind of went along with it, and it got to a point where I almost got put in prison that night, or in jail. I got Mirandized by the cops, that's only happened to me once in my life. But I was in New York, New York, the casino, and I was putting drive stickers on, like, limousines and things like that, which is kind of stupid. And they were videotaping it, even stupider. I thought it'd be funny in a video. And uh, the cops didn't think it was as funny as I did, so they Mirandized me. And the team rep came and talked the cop out of, I guess he was the sales rep, talked him out of arresting me. He was a good salesman, hence he was the sales rep and got me off the hook, but they kicked us out of New York, New York. The next thing I remember is waking up the next morning in the hotel room with no idea how I even got back to the hotel that night, puke all over myself, and I looked down and I had a what would Jesus do bracelet on my hand. And I thought right then and there, I will never shame Christ like this again. That is the last time that this happens in my life. I felt like because of my fear, I was unwilling to say no. Because of my ego, I was unwilling to say no. Even though I was trying to make an influence for Christ, I was blowing it. It was not a good night. It did force me to make some big decisions about where I wanted to go with my life. And in fact, I came back from that trip, and I sat down with Russ, and I said, I am all in. Remember that conversation, Russ? I said, I am all in. I'm 100%. I'm going for it. And God really used that to kind of set some things straight. But what I want to share tonight, I think, is the secret that will keep you from similar failures. And it's the secret to these other secrets. And that story is going to play into the rest of the talk tonight. It's important. But with that in mind, let's read Ephesians 5, 8 through 18. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. 
for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right, we're going to talk about the three big secrets of this weekend, followed by the secret to those secrets. They're all right here in this passage. So let's review those first three secrets as we introduce the weekend. Secret number one is the secret to the Christian life. I'm going to go right back to the beginning of that passage we just read. In verses 8 through 10, Paul writes, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So how do you live as a child of the light, pleasing the Lord? What is the secret to the Christian life? Simply, I think it's living as his child in intimate fellowship with him. That's what we're seeing here. Living as his child and pleasing him. It's really a simple thing. This is a daily choice to walk close to Jesus. Gordy's going to talk about that tomorrow. But Jesus put it this way, and I know this will come up again. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. See, on my own, I can't do the Christian life. The Christian life only makes sense when it's done abiding in him. If I'm just trying to be a Christian on my own, it's not going to happen. I talked to a student this week who told me my entire Christian life has been nothing but a facade. Right? That is often the case for a lot of people. Trying to look and act like a Christian without actually abiding in Christ and letting him live his life through us. So the secret to the Christian life is to abide in Christ, to, to draw near to Christ, and to let him live his life through me as I simply enjoy him as my father. As I enjoy God as a father and I enjoy my relationship to God as his son, experiencing him intimately. And I know we're going to hear more about this from Gordy tomorrow, but maybe for you married men, you could think of it like this. Success in marriage requires actually fellowshipping and spending time with your wife, right? It's impossible to have a successful marriage just trying to be a good husband apart from relationship with your wife. Isn't that true? Right? It really goes back to actually doing whatever it takes to draw close to my wife and to grow that relationship, to talk things through, to spend time together, to get to know her on her level. If I'm not willing to grow close to her in relationship, it doesn't matter how much I try to look like a good husband. It's not going to happen. So Paul prays for the Colossians, and he says, I pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That's my hope, that we'll be able to walk away from this place knowing really what it means to abide with Christ, the secret to the Christian life, being able to live a life that pleases God, one that's close to Him. Isn't that what you want? That's what I want. Yesterday when I talked to Gordy, if I can say this, Gordy, he was tearing up telling me about 
how joyful his time with the Lord was that morning. Don't you want that every morning with God? Don't you want to be drawing near to him that closely and letting that impact everything else that happens all day? Well, that'll be secret number one, but there's a secret that makes even that secret work, and we'll get to that. So if you want to know the secret to the Christian life, get ready to hear Gordy tomorrow morning. Secret number two, the secret to the courageous life. Let's go back to Ephesians 5, 11 through 14. It says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So, one of the fruitless deeds of darkness, one that leads to many other fruitless deeds of darkness, is fear. We talk about this pain acronym for fear. We talk about how there are four big types of fear that will ruin your life. P, you have phobias, and Malcolm will probably get into some more of this tomorrow. I'm just setting you up for his talk. But you have phobias that can ruin your life. They may not be the things that ruin your life, but for some people they really are. They're terrified of X, Y, or Z, and they can't function because of it. This might be hitting a little closer to home. Anxieties, right? We each have anxieties that can take over our life and can run our life and ruin our life. I, the third type of fear that can really crush us is insecurities. And even the most bold, outwardly confident man you know is probably full of insecurities on the inside and afraid of what if people know this or that or this weakness or that failure, right? We all have these insecurities. And then finally, the fourth type of fear, probably the most dangerous, is what we call narcissistic fears. They're these fears that really come back to pride. I'm really afraid to surrender something to God because he might actually take control of it and do something I don't like, right? I don't know if I really want to go all in with God because he might send me to Africa as a missionary, right? I don't know if I really want to go in with all, all in with God because he might ask me to give more of my money away than I'm willing to give away. So we have these narcissistic fears that control us. Anyways, you think about these fears that can control you. They lead to so many other sins, right? Because I start to live a reactive life based on my fear rather than one living in the light with Christ leading me courageously. So I think if we're going to get to the bottom of living the life that God called us to, we have to learn what it means to live as courageous men. So Malcolm tomorrow is going to tell us that secret, and I'm excited to hear what he has to say. Isaiah 41.10 puts it this way, So do not fear, God says to his people, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I think that's the confidence that we can walk away with as we learn the secrets to dealing with our fear and to conquering our fear. And just to set them up, there are going to be some good takeaways, some practical things that you can really do straight from God's Word that will help you live a fearless life. All right, secret number three is the secret to the influential life. Now, going back to this key passage in Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 17, it says, Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So how many of you would agree that we live in some evil days? Right? Pretty safe assumption. You turn on the news, you can hardly believe what's happening. 
you can't imagine things that 20 years ago you wouldn't even think would be normal in society are today. The reality is we live in these evil days that Paul is talking about here. And in those evil days, what does he say? He says, make the most of every opportunity and know what the Lord's will is. Don't you want to make the most of every opportunity for God? Let me tell you a little bit about an opportunity that I could hardly imagine when I was a college student. I was a senior in college. I was getting ready to graduate. I was working at Zoomies, this skateboard shop, this snowboard shop in the mall. And we would always do these pocket checks. And we'd pull out our stuff from our pockets to make sure we weren't robbing the store. And I was the closing manager. And so me and whoever I was closing with would show each other what we had. And, and uh, it was kind of a safety guard. At that time, I carried a little Gideon New Testament in my pocket all the time. Now I have my Bible on my phone. But at that time, I had the Gideon New Testament. And my coworker said, so are you a Christian? I always see that Bible. And I said, yes. She ended up just bawling her eyes out and sharing all this stuff in her life and all this sin. She ended up praying to put her trust in Christ right there behind the cash register that night as we were counting the cash drawer. And about two weeks later, she shows up at church with her boyfriend. He was a very successful young man. He actually owned a concrete pumping business in Las Vegas, had a half-million-dollar home in Vegas that was paid off. He had no mortgage on it, and he was just living the life down here in Durango. He had people running his company. He was younger than me. He was 20 or 21 years old. How he got to that level at that age is kind of mind-boggling. But he told me that day in church, he said, if you can't help me or tell me how to have uh, peace with God, I will kill myself. He said, I can't live with the man that I am. He goes, I've done so many bad things to get ahead in life. I've done so many bad things to get to where I'm at in life. And I can't live with it. I have to find forgiveness. I have to find peace with God. So that was kind of an opportunity, right? Wouldn't you say? My wife Erin was there, and my wife and I, or she wasn't my wife then, she was my girlfriend then. But we took this young couple out to lunch and shared the gospel with, uh, with this young guy, Wally and went back to his house afterwards, and he prayed and put his trust in Christ and started growing in his walk with God. There are opportunities like that around you guys right now. I'm not kidding you. They might not come out and say it, and they might come out and say it. I don't know. But I know that there are opportunities like that all around you. The week before break on campus, the team, the staff and students, had over 80 spiritual conversations or evangelistic conversations now, out of the ones that I had, I think I had five that week. I don't remember, five or six. And three of the people that I shared with, when we got to the point of decision, said they wanted to take that step and make that decision, but they wanted to think about it a little more. So none of them prayed with me that day, but just out of a random sampling of random people that we randomly shared with that week, three of the ones that I personally shared with were close to trusting Christ. Is that kind of shocking? These are just random college students out on a college campus. You know, I sit there every day, and I still believe these lies that they're not interested in Christ. <laughs> every time I go out, I find out that, yep, I'm believing lies again, right? Because they are interested in Christ. Guys, there are opportunities all around you, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, in your society. All around you, there are opportunities. And if we want to make the most of them, which is what we have to do if we want to have an influential life, and which guy doesn't want that, we need to learn... A few simple strategies, some secrets to the influential life. And Brandon's going to share with us tomorrow night a few practical things that you can do to easily get into conversations with people. 
to have an influence that will make a difference for eternity. All right. And if you want to know what God's will is, because this passage doesn't end there, but it says, don't be foolish, know what the Lord's will is. Well, here's his will. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Think this is an important statement? <laughs> I can't think of any other place where he starts a statement with that kind of emphasis. It's also been noticed that this was in his last message to his disciples. Usually, before you leave, imagine you're on your deathbed and you're talking to your kids. You're probably not going to be asking them trivial things, right? You're going to be telling them the best you have to tell them. Here's Jesus telling his disciples what's most important to him and, and saying that he has all authority to do it. And he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's his command to each one of us in this room. He wants us to be influential, not for our own sakes, but for his so, if you want to be ready to make the most of every opportunity, to know his will and to do it, to make an impact for him and to have the influence that you were created for, you don't want to miss what Brandon has to share tomorrow night. Okay, so now, what's the secret to those secrets? The secret to those secrets is to quit trying harder and to do it in God's own power. Okay? This is important. The Apostle Paul got this. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That was how he viewed life. He didn't say, if you want to have an influence and have courage and live the Christian life, just try a little bit harder than last week. He didn't say that. He said, I died. I was crucified with Christ. And now he's living through me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And he's living his life through me, right? He lives in me. So if you've put your trust in Christ, the Bible says you have his Holy Spirit, who is here to empower you to live his life, who exists partly to live Christ's life through you. The Holy Spirit obviously has many different roles, and he is God living in you as a believer. But one of the things he does is he empowers you to obey God and to live the life that you can't possibly live on your own. Now, if you've never trusted Christ, the gospel's pretty simple, yet it's very much of a big deal. I often tell people it's probably the simplest thing that you could ever do, and at the same time, the most profound and life-changing. See, the Bible says that God loves you, and that he created you for a plan and a purpose. This is an incredible thing. He created you for fellowship with him. Yet you and I are sinful and separated from a perfect God. And no matter what I do, I can never be on his level. No matter how much I go to church, pray, read the Bible, whatever, I will never make it to his level. And I can never earn my way or work my way into relationship with him. I shared that once with a non-Christian, and he said, If that's true, why are you Christians always smiling? And he goes, That's horrible news. I said, well, that is horrible news, but it gets better. See, the Bible says God wasn't content with leaving things that way, but he became a man. He lived a perfect life that I couldn't live, and then he died to pay the penalty for the sins that I deserved to die for eternally. 
He took that sin. He died. He nailed the record that was against me to the cross. He paid for it all so that I could have a relationship with him, not based on my own performance, but based on his performance. Right? So now he says, anyone that puts their faith and their trust in him can be given this free gift of relationship with him, this gift of salvation and forgiveness. They don't earn it. They couldn't possibly earn it. They receive it as a gift. So if you've never taken that step, I really pray that you wouldn't leave this retreat without taking that step. Talk to somebody here or somebody that, that came with you, and don't leave without taking that step. It's the biggest decision and the most life-changing decision you could ever make. Now, on the flip side of the coin, if you have trusted Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. In John 7, 37 through 39, we are told that if you have believed in Christ, you've been given his Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 1, 13, we read that if you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're told that if you've been put into God's family, you've been baptized with his Spirit. In John 1, 12, it says if you've believed in him, you've been adopted into his family. You've been given the right to become his child, right? In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 6, 19, it says that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that you're his temple. That's incredible. I mean, just to shed a little light on this, in the Old Testament, you actually had to go to a temple where you would relate to God, where you'd sacrifice to atone for your sins, and where you'd praise God and pray and all this stuff. You actually had to go to a temple to interact with God's presence. In the New Testament, after Christ came and died for our sins, the temple is inside you. You are the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells with you. You can have relationship and fellowship with God right here. Is this not incredible? I don't have to go somewhere. People tell me all the time, I don't, I don't connect well with God in churches. I connect better with God out in the mountains. And I say, so do I. That's exactly the message of the New Testament. But I like and need to go to church because I can't hang out with Gordy necessarily up in the mountains. See, there's something I get at church that I don't get up in the mountains. But you're right, I tell these college students. You can connect with God intimately wherever you happen to be. That's because his Holy Spirit is in you as a believer. Now, most of you as men have come to figure something out in life. Having food in your house doesn't necessarily equate to not being hungry, right? So my brother is growing in his ability to cook for himself, but there was a time when he could barely cook for himself to save his life. Nick's good friends with my brother. Did he cook that turkey this week? You know? You don't think so? Okay. My mom told him, buy a turkey, and I'm going to give you a recipe, and you have to cook it just to learn how to cook it. So he had Thanksgiving with us, but my mom hounded him. You need to cook the turkey to learn how to cook the turkey. But I know for some guys, not him anymore, they'll sit there and not eat anything because they just don't know how or want to stand up and make it. Right, Malcolm? There's Malcolm. Okay, this is what happens with us and the power of the Holy Spirit God has given us. Right? He gives us his Holy Spirit, God himself living inside you, and very often we don't even... Make the sandwich and eat it, <laughs> right? The food is in the house, but you don't fill yourself with the food. Does that make sense? And you sit there and suffer because of it. And you sit there and hunger because of it. See, God has indwelt you as a believer with his Holy Spirit, but he's also told you in Ephesians 5.18, the last verse in that passage that we just read, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
he, he also used an analogy that relates back to my story. He says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So in my story, when this sales rep back in 99 had been putting Jim Beam in my Coke, the Jim Beam caused me to do things and say things that I normally wouldn't, right? It's the only time in my life that I've been Mirandized by the police. <laughs> Usually I'm not a law-breaking citizen. <laughs> the other day I was speeding... My kids were screaming. I was trying to get to school to drop them off on time. I didn't even know what speed I was going. And I was on a side road. And uh, I come over a hill. I'm going like 60 or so, 55. And I look for the next, there's a cop right there, right? And I look for the next speed limit sign. It says 35. I was like, I am so dead, dude. <laughs> sure enough, his lights turn on and he does a U-turn. I'm just like. So I have the hands on the wheel. He walks up, I see his belt buckle in the mirror, and I'm thinking, I am dead, I'm dead, I'm dead. I roll down the window, I look out, it's my old neighbor. <laughs> and he goes, Nate, what are you up to this morning? <laughs> he goes, I'm not going to harass you, man. Do you have any warrants out for your arrest? I said, no, I don't. And he goes, well, golly, slow it down. Don't do that again. Have a good morning. So I guess uh, I have <laughs> caught myself breaking all recently, and God was real merciful to me. But anyway... Under the influence of alcohol back in 1999, I was compelled to do things that I don't normally do on my own. Does that make sense? It provoked actions that I don't normally do. I don't normally go around tagging limousines with snowboard stickers, <laughs> but I happened to be doing that that night uh, and other stupid things on videotape. So anyway, that alcohol caused me to do and say things that I normally wouldn't. Paul uses this analogy because not like that, in a very different way, God's Spirit in you will empower you to do things that are not humanly possible. You can actually forgive people that wrong you. You can actually love people that are hard to love. You can actually share the gospel with somebody even when you're scared out of your mind. The other night, this is Tuesday night, we get out of our weekly meeting on campus. We go to Walmart. It's My kids are... It's been a long day, we're getting off campus late, and we're waiting for things in the photo department, and it's taking forever. We're there, I think, close to an hour. And I just want to get out of here, right? So I go to the front, and I'm checking out, and Aaron said, i got to go run grab something. So I said, okay, cool, I'll meet you at the front. So I have a couple minutes to wait for her, and God clearly tells me to go share him with this person. And I'm thinking, this is the last thing in the world that I want to do, God. My son is, like, screaming. My, my, one of my daughters is being good, but she's here. It's... So I just said, God, I'm going to walk that direction. <laughs> but I don't have in me what it takes to share with this person right now, and I don't want to. But I'll at least, by faith, start walking that direction. And, and you can provoke something, God. <laughs> and I start walking up to this person, and as I got close to her, she had tattoos. And I just impulsively just came out. I don't think I even thought of it. I just said, hey, what are the tattoos all about? You know? She goes, oh, this one says faith. This one says Isaiah. I said, really? That's awesome. What do they mean? She goes, well, it's my brother and sister. One is faith and one is Isaiah. I said, no, that's awesome. I said, have you ever read the biblical book Isaiah? Not the sharpest transition question, but it came out. She's like, you bet I have. She turns her arm. She has Philippians 4.13 on the other arm. <laughs> so I said, so do you have faith in Jesus Christ? She's like, you bet I do. I just moved to town. I'm looking for a church to get plugged into. 
And I was pretty amazed. I think that whole thing was more for me than it was for her. And I said, I just want you to know, God really wants you to know that he loves you. And, and I was supposed to come here and tell you that. And she goes, well, you know what? God loves you too. And I just thought, man, God, God got me that night, right? He taught me. But this was the issue. I didn't have what it took. I didn't. And I just said, God, I'm willing to take a few steps, but you have to come through. You have to empower me. You have to be the one that says what you need to say, because I don't have it. And he did. And it was not me. All right. He can do that for every one of us. But that's the reality here. In his power, we do things that don't naturally come to us. Does that make sense? Because he's living his life through us. All right, so Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, I want to read a short passage that illustrates this vividly, and then I'll close with one other acronym, because every good talk has to have two acronyms, and then we'll be done. All right, Justin? Right. Science majors understand, even though he's not a science major. But we understand. All right, Ezekiel 2.1-7. He, God, said to me, Son of man, this is Ezekiel, of course, writing, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. And as he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. Just note, this is the Old Testament, so the Spirit came into him. That doesn't happen if you're a believer. He's in you. You're his temple. But the analogy, or not the analogy, but the principle here is important. God commands him to do something, and then the Holy Spirit empowers him to obey. Did you catch that? God said, stand up and listen to me. Boom. The Holy Spirit raises him to his feet, and he hears God speaking to him. Isn't that incredible? See, the Holy Spirit, if you allow, will empower you to obey God. He said, son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am, to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. Though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions, do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them. Though, though they are a rebellious house, you must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Right here we see the three things that we're going to talk about this weekend, all empowered by the Spirit. One, we see Ezekiel connecting with God, communicating with God, hearing from God. He didn't use the word quiet time, but it sounds a whole lot like a morning quiet time, right? This is what's happening, and the Holy Spirit's empowering him to do it. Next, he says, don't be afraid. Be courageous. The Holy Spirit is going to empower him to obey God and be courageous. And finally, he says, speak my words to this people. Influence them for me. Again, the Holy Spirit can empower you to do that, just like he did Ezekiel. So here's how you can be filled with the Spirit, experiencing his power on a daily basis. Here's another acronym. It's real simple, but I hope this helps you remember it. It's the POWER acronym. Okay, The POWER acronym for being filled with the Spirit. I'm going to write it up here, and I'm going to leave it up here, at least for the night. And I'm also going to give you guys some little uh, papers that you can fill things out on after this. You can work through some application. Okay, the POWER acronym for being filled with the Spirit. First is present yourself to God, surrendering to Him. Okay?
God is not going to empower you to do your will, right? God, I'm rebellious today. Help me succeed in my rebellion. <laughs> not going to happen. When I come to him, asking him to empower me to live his life through me, it starts with a decision to present myself to him, surrendering myself to him. Russ calls this a throne check. And Russ says, and he's not joking, we should do a throne check every 15 minutes. Who's on the throne? If I'm on the throne, I need to get off because he's not going to empower me to be on my own throne. He's going to empower me to be on, to, for, to let him be on the throne, right? To live his life through me. So cultivate a lifestyle of having throne checks where you simply evaluate throughout the day who's on the throne right now. And if you catch yourself getting on the throne, you can quickly ask him to forgive you and get him back on the throne. That's actually the second part of the acronym. Oh, own up to any sin God makes you aware of, confessing it to him. Okay, so own up to any sin, confessing it to him. Get him on the throne, confess any sin that is kicking him off the throne in your life. Okay, W, this is critical. Want to live a Christ-like, spirit-filled and empowered life. I'm going to come back to a few verses on each of these and we'll be done. The other night when I felt like God was telling me to go talk to this person, I did not feel like talking to them. But I did want to do God's will. And I was willing to say, God, I don't feel like talking to this person, but I want to do what you want me to do. So you take over. I'll start walking that direction, but that's all I can promise. But you take over. Do something. And I'm letting you do it, and I'm asking you to do it. Does that make sense? Want to live a Christ-like life, a spirit-filled and empowered life. And let him come through. Okay, now here's the clincher. If we don't get E, we get an F. <laughs> no. Okay, experience his power. Claiming it by faith alone. Okay, when I do a throne check and I ask him to be on the throne... And when I say, God, empower me with your spirit to go talk to this person, I might not feel any different than I did five minutes ago. In fact, I probably might start feeling a whole lot worse all of a sudden. Because I do have an enemy that doesn't want me to share with that person. And I do have a flesh that doesn't want to either. And they both start to link up and join forces <laughs> to make me feel pretty pathetic as soon as I start to take a step of obedience. Isn't that right? Haven't you noticed the second you say, yes, God, I'm going to do your will? Boom. It doesn't get easier, does it? It gets harder, right? Satan fights harder. Your flesh fights harder. So if I wait around to feel this rush of spiritual energy to do God's will, it might never happen. I'm not saying it won't. I mean, there might be times where you know God is empowering you, and you feel it, and it's great, and he really does empower you. I love that story that Brandon always shares of sharing with those three girls at night vision. Um, but at the same time, you might not, and I don't even know if you felt that that night. I know you were walking by obedience too. But honestly, guys, 
You don't always feel any different, but you're called to claim it by faith alone. I've asked him to be on the throne. I've asked him to empower me by his spirit. Whether I feel it or not, I'm taking a step of faith, and I'm trusting him to come through. And it's all on him, right? It's not my responsibility anymore. And that brings me to R, the last letter in the acronym. That's rely on him. Step out in faith. See, once I've asked him to empower me, to fill me, he's not going to do it if I just sit here, right? I have to start taking a step of faith, relying on him to come through. In fact, if I hadn't started walking towards that lady, there would have been nothing to empower. What, what would he empower? Am I standing still? Probably not. Does that make sense? So as I've surrendered to him, and as I've confessed any known sin, and as I desire to let him live through me, and as I ask him to do that, I take a step of faith. And I say, God, I'm trusting you to come through. And really, this is up to you. You have to. Okay, so let me just review it. Present yourself to God, surrendering to him. This is what we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So I'm getting out of the way. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. God is saying, get off the throne, surrender your life as a living sacrifice, allowing him to do his will. Right? Next, own up to any sin that God makes you aware of, confessing it to him. In 1 John 1, 9, we're told that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us and cleanse us of any unrighteousness. So, a lot of times people say, for example, I can't share my faith because I, I have too many problems, or I'm not a good enough Christian. Well, guess what? You can confess that to him, and then step out in his power. You shouldn't try to be a hypocrite, but you should choose to confess any known sin to him, letting him cleanse you of it, and then step out in his power, not your own. Okay, want to live a Christ-like, spirit-filled, and empowered life. First John 5, 4, excuse me. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If your desire, if your hunger and your thirst is for God to be glorified in your life, for his righteousness, his righteousness to be evident in your life and coming out in your life, if that's your desire, he is going to make that happen in your life. Isn't that true? So desire to live that Christ-like life of influence. Okay, he experiences filling and power claiming it by faith alone through prayer. So he's commanded you to be filled with the Spirit, right? And then, in 1 John 5, 14 through 15, we read, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So if he commands you to do X, and then you ask for X, is it according to his will? Yes. Now, if you ask him something according to his will, will he give it to you? So, A plus B equals C. I ask him to empower me by his spirit. He already told me he wants me to live that kind of lifestyle. He already said that if I pray in line with his will, he's going to answer me. You can rest assured that if you've asked him to fill you and empower you by his spirit for anything that you're facing, he will do it no matter how you feel. Okay, R, rely on him taking steps of faith that require him to come through. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith. We 
Don't live by sight. We live by faith, not by sight. See, I can look at my circumstances, or I can say I'm stepping out in faith, trusting you to empower me to do what only you can do. All right, that's the secret to the secrets. The secret to the secrets is not just trying harder, but it's letting him empower me to live the life that only he can. It's choosing each day to do it in his power rather than my own. Okay, so I'm going to give you guys one of these. Nick, can you pass these out for me? This is just going to be a little sheet that reminds you of the power acronym. And then it goes a little further. It says, how can you apply this in your walk with God? How can you apply this to your fears? And how can you apply this in your opportunities of influence? Take some time. Process this on your own with God and really deal with God about these three key issues and write down a few things on paper. How are you going to trust him to empower you in these key areas? And I think if you do that, you're going to go into these next talks with some real good personal ways to make the most of those talks. So, in conclusion, guys, don't be confused like I was. Know what it means to let God live his life through you. And then experience victory in your walk as Christian men in his power, not your own. The secret to the secrets of life is not just trying harder, but doing it in his power. God, I thank you so much that you didn't leave us here on our own, but that you've given us your Holy Spirit. God who lives in us to empower us to do what only you can do. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.